Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Here we are in Timothy, 1 Timothy, and if it was a film, it could be called What to Expect in the Household of God, or more specifically, What Jesus Expects of His Good Servants. Now, it's important that you don't switch off mentally. Switch your phone onto silent and play Angry Birds. Because this message is for you. It's for you, whether you're part of the household of God. You may not be a pastor or even planning to be a pastor. You may not be a leader in the church. But as with every part of Scripture, there's application for you. There's a message here for you. So please try and stay awake. So we've all got expectations, don't we? And like the couple in the film, sometimes the reality doesn't match them. And we have to make adjustments. Hopefully there will be some adjustments made today as we look at what we should expect from pastors in the church. Now some here probably have very low expectations of pastors. You know, for you, a pastor should be in a church. Um, He should pray and he should say something about God. Um, You have quite low expectations. For others, you've got high expectations, too high so if you need your, 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 your fence painted, uh, your children's diapers changed, the pastor needs to be there, otherwise he's not a good pastor. Uh, if he's not there to pray with you and um, be at your beck and call, then as far as you're concerned, he's not really a good pastor. Regardless of the size of the congregation, um, you've got expectations that are too high. Now, other of you may have more reasonable expectations that line up with what the Bible actually teaches as necessary for good servants. Wherever you're at, hopefully today we're going to be blessed as we look at what the Bible says regarding these issues. So last week, Pastor Rob warned us about the the dangers of listening to false teachers who actually are teaching things in in Ephesus that are opposed to sound teaching. It's a big, big theme throughout this, the need for sound teaching and what they're teaching is opposed to sound teaching. Things that really aren't biblical but are actually demonic in their origin. As rather than cause us as believers to thank God for his creation, they encourage us to be legalistic by denying ourselves and, other, and others. Things that God has actually himself created. So we looked last week at uh, God's creation. He's given us his creation to give him glory for and thank him for. And his creation is good, even though it's fallen. There's much in his creation that we can enjoy. So we can enjoy marriage, we can enjoy food, we can enjoy music. All of these things can be um, enjoyed because God has... I created them, and we're to give God thanks for that. We had a real blessed time at community group, just thanking God, really, for stuff that we really thank God for, and, and being reminded that actually, God is a good God. It's a good way for us to start today, remembering that God is good. So this week, we're in uh, First Timothy, as I said, and we're going to be reading from chapter 4, verse 6 to 10, so if you, if you would turn in your Bibles... Now, I don't have a keynote, and I was panicking about that someone, but then my wife said, honey, Jesus didn't have a keynote. <laughs> Not that she was comparing me to Jesus, but she was basically saying, you know, I need to depend on him rather than the keynote. So here we are. If you put these things, verse 6, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of of some value, 
Godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's remember that this letter is written by Paul, specifically to the apostle, written by the apostle Paul, sorry, specifically to Timothy, who is his understudy. And he's writing it because he wants to encourage Timothy. Timothy has been left in Ephesus to sort out the church which was being led astray by false teachers, as we've been looking at over the past weeks. He's in a, he's in a difficult situation, a tough situation. He's been left to, to sort these issues out. Timothy's been charged with the job of exposing the false teaching. And the main way that he is to do that, strangely enough, or interestingly enough, is by setting a good example of that which church is supposed to be. So the central verse of this letter really is... Does anybody know what the central verse is? What we've, been, we've mentioned it a few times. No? 3.15. Oh, I think it's 3.16. Which says that the church is supposed to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. That is, the church is to promote and protect the one true gospel. That's our job as, as believers, as, as, as members of the church. This letter is also what's known as an open letter. So it was not just for Timothy. It was specifically written to Timothy, but it was to be read in front of the church. The whole church were to hear it. So that they can sit and listen and hear what is expected of each of us in our, in our various roles. What, what are the expectations that God has? So the first, I've got three observations about the duty of pastors or good servants. And the first is that good servants nourish themselves and others on God's word. I've kind of squashed two into one there, a bit cheekily. Good servants nourish, others and, nourish themselves and others on God's word. So Paul sees Timothy as a son, doesn't he? He mentions that at the beginning of the letter. And so he wants him to follow his example, as any good dad would want of, of, of a good son. Or should I say he wants him to continue to be, to follow his example, because we know that Timothy is a faithful servant, isn't he? He's been obedient to the things that Paul has been um, encouraging him, him in. Now look at the first part of verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, so the brothers here is not referring to, to a select little men's group, uh, the brothers in that sense, but it's, 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 it's that, uh, continuing this family language, speaking about the community of God. So it could be it's brothers and sisters. These things, firstly, is referring, you see that there, if you put these things, it's referring us back to immediately to what's that, what, what we looked at last week, so in, in verses 1 to 5. So Timothy is to warn the church about false teachers and their practices and the deadly demonic results of them. And it's most likely that these things also refers... It it continues uh, to the whole of the letter, and then really even the the rest of the Bible's teaching. So Timothy is to instruct the church with sound teaching, healthy teaching. We're looking at what 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 is it to be a healthy household? What is it to be a healthy church? Which is one of our part of our vision as a church, isn't it? We want to be a healthy church. So Timothy is to instruct the church with sound teaching, the apostles' teaching. That is, what do the apostles teach? Where did they get that from? They got that from Christ. So it's Jesus' teaching. And doing that, he will be providing good, healthy food for the church. We want good, healthy food, don't we? We don't want to just come and eat Big Mac. and Well, some of you do, but we shouldn't. We know that it's not good for us. Notice that he's to be nourished himself, back in your text, in the words of the faith. That's referring to the scriptures. So Paul is later in, in 2, 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 going to say that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, your Old Testament, your New Testament, Leviticus, that stuff that you want to go, it's kind of all of it is profitable. And that's, even for us as believers, we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Because we've got our favorite scriptures that we want to, and stuff that we want to skip over. We like, maybe, maybe we like the New Testament and we, you know, we, we like to hear about Jesus and, and, and the Gospels, but we're not necessarily so interested in the Old Testament. But, but in doing that, we're, there's part of nourishment that we're missing out on. So all of it is profitable. And this Bible that we hold is God's inspired word that he gave to us through men. It's his word. And it's profitable. That means we can't afford to be selective, as I said. Timothy is to have a personal life of devotion to Jesus. Sounds obvious, isn't it? It's a a no-brainer, really. If he wants to be a good servant, he has to actually love Jesus. (gasps) Heaven forbid. He actually has to be in relationship with Jesus. He actually has to love Jesus. And in doing that, he's going to love his words. Young people, if you, if you respect and love your parents, you'll do what they, they say, do what they ask you to do, won't you? You'll be obedient. If you don't, then maybe that's exposing where you're really where your heart's at. If we love Jesus, we'll do what he says. Timothy doesn't have the luxury of turning up every Sunday and winging it or just downloading his sermons from the internet. The false teachers do that. And look where it gets them and their listeners. They fail to stay close to Jesus and his teaching. The true gospel, which is the power of God to save, isn't it? And thank God for that. Many of us are here today because of that gospel, because of the truth. Otherwise, we'd still be lost in our sin. We're here today because of the truth. And that truth has set us free and it continues to do that. So as a result, they've departed from the faith. And ultimately, you depart from God's word. Guess what? You're departing from Jesus who is the only source of life. Jesus and his teaching, a true gospel, is the power of God to save. I think um, where it mentions the good, the good doctrine, I think it's referring to theology. So that theology is, like, is the study of God, isn't it? So we, we have the, script, the, 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 the faithful words, which is, is the Bible, is, is, is the scriptures. What do they teach? The theology that we get from that. What, what, and we, we saw last week, don't we, that if our theology is off... Our understanding of creation is off, how that, that means that we begin to divert from the truth and it affects our practice and ultimately it's going to affect our destination, isn't it? If our theology is not right, if I have a wrong understanding of creation, if I have a wrong understanding of grace, if I have a wrong, wrong understanding of God as, as, as the Father, that's not going to be good for me. So our theology needs to be straight. Timothy is to read his Bible every day. So that he can quote, not, not so that he can quote it to others verbatim and win uh, Bible trivia quizzes, but so that he would get closer to Christ, so that he'd be a faithful, good servant. The Pharisees knew their Bibles very well, didn't they? But it didn't really get them very far. They knew their Bibles back to front. They'd be, up to, be able to stand up here and quote whole books. And yet, just, so just the head knowledge, just what we're not encouraging today, what I'm not encouraging to do is just, just read the Bible and that's going to be fine. Just, just read it and just memorize it. That's not what, what we're saying. We, we, like I said before, we, these are the words of God. We love God and therefore we want to hear what he's got to say. We want to be obedient to what he, what he has. Therefore, we love his word, don't we? That should be our desire. If it's not our practice. Timothy is to remember, that the, that, um, remember the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Timothy's spiritual life was to be sustained by God's word. That's standard, isn't it? Timothy's, yes, he's a leader, but that's, that applies to us as believers, isn't it? We should be sustained by God's word. Remember that the pastoral epistles, that is First and Second Timothy and Titus, they're there for a model for us today of how the church should function, how the household of God should function. And I say that, I mean, that should be standard, but many churches have moved away from the biblical model and they've come up with their own ideas about how church should be, what a, what a pastor should do. Coming back to that thing I mentioned at the beginning about expectations. If I'm honest, I feel challenged, seriously challenged, as, as, I, as I've looked and, and, and tried to study this um, text and considered the fact that, Lord, I want to be a good servant. I want to be faithful. I mean, but seeing how... I suppose how high the calling is, how difficult it is, um, is terrifying in one hand. Um, but I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for our pastors. And I can say that hand on heart. I'm grateful for men who have been a good example to me. Men who genuinely love the scriptures. They genuinely love Jesus. They're not perfect, but they love the Lord. And their desire is to be faithful in bringing the word to us. Is to be faithful in, 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 in the study of God's word. And, and believe it or not, I suppose in, in, unless you've had, unless you've been used to having McDonald's all the time, then you can't really appreciate some mutton, rice and peas. You, know, I mean, you don't really appreciate just how good it is and how, you know, how, how beneficial it is for you until maybe you've been out and, and experienced, sadly, um, what takes place in so many churches where men are not faithful. Um, so I just really want to thank God for our pastors and and ask you to pray really to continue, I say pray really to, 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 I would ask you to pray and to continue to pray uh, that the Lord would help um, our pastors, that he'd help myself anybody who dares to stand in this pulpit that God really by his grace would help us to stick close to Jesus and stick close to his word because obviously the, the, the warning was there, so I think it's interesting back in Acts, Paul warned the church of what was going to happen I mean, and yet that warning wasn't enough. That, that, lo and behold, these men ended up um, moving away from the faithful word of God. And we should be praying for our pastors, praying for those who are, are preaching in this place, that we would hold fast to God's word. And that should be your expectation. I mean, as, you, as you're coming to church, you should expect that actually we're not just going to stand up here and chat holy rubbish or give you our, our ideas and our opinions about what we think, but actually we're going to be faithful in, in studying and in, and in sharing God's word. So if you're a Christian, then you too are a servant, aren't you? You may not be a pastor, may not be, be a leader. And yet, in some way, we're all leaders, aren't we? We're all servants as believers. And we all have people that are following us, people that are looking up to us. We have a responsibility to be faithful. We have a responsibility to lead well. So if you're a Christian, as I said, you're a servant. And you should, be, and you should desire to be a good servant. And while you may not be responsible for leading the church, you're responsible for your own spiritual health. What is your diet like? What do you eat on a, on a regular basis, day in, day out? What, what do you feed yourself on? What do you like to eat? You're quite happy with just takeaways every day, fast food. Does your theology match up with what the scripture teaches? And it's interesting because as, as, as we begin to talk amongst one another, we realize that for all of us, our theology should, we should be constantly coming back to, okay, this is what I think 
God's word says, or this is what I think is Christian, but actually, does it match up with what the scripture teaches? So as you tell somebody that you're ill and they say, no, that's not my portion, <laughs> you realize that somewhere your theology is not right because you, you, what, what happened to Paul and Timothy and those who serve God suffered. I mean, nowhere are you told that you're not, you're not going to suffer. Actually, we're promised that we will suffer. I mean, does your theology match up with what Scripture teaches? And that's only gonna, you're only going to know that as we come to Scriptures and we, we come and sit, and sit under the Word and we, we read and we read and we read and we pray and we meditate and we, and we consider and we think, Lord, you know, actually, I, thought, I had this opinion of you. And I've been, I've, I, I thought this is what your Word says, but actually, as I read this, my convictions are changing and, and I, need, I need to change. I don't, I don't change your Word, but I need to change and come into line with what your Word says. Do you say that you love God, but you can't be bothered to read the Bible? Do you either say that out loud, or do you, is that really what you're saying in your, in your practice? Second observation is that good servants exercise, exercise godliness. Verses 7 to 9. Verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So as much as Timothy is to stay close to the words of the faith, in contrast, he needs to not waste his time as a pastor, as a leader, with irreverent silly myths, which is like the, the myths and the genealogies back, mentioned back in uh, chapter 1, verse 4. We don't know, it's, it's difficult to determine specifically what these were, but it basically means, I think it's in, in the NIV, it, it translates these as old wives' tales. And it's the, the, the thing of uh, the picture is old women sitting around weaving baskets and they're, they're, they're chatting and what they're, what they're talking about is kind of, it's no, it has no weight, it has no substance, it's just kind of idle gossip really. It would, be, it would be a waste of time for me to go and sit down and try and glean and get involved in that conversation because it's not going anywhere, it doesn't mean anything. It's, 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 it, I, I need to be focusing on the truth, Timothy needs to be focusing on the truth. What's clear is that Timothy is to stay away from false teaching. It's not founded on the truth. And it's the same for us today as Christians, isn't it? We need to also stay away from and think about what, what, do we, what do we download, what do we listen to, what do we read? Is it in line? Does it line up with what God's word says? Because if it doesn't, it's just junk food. It's not going to get you anywhere. And actually, it could end up leading you away from the truth. Think about the, the sadly, potentially millions of people who are sitting down and, and are sending in money to charlatans who are not rooted and grounded in God's word. They're out to make a, make a buck and they're making a whole heap of bucks. And people are being deceived because of their lack of understanding, their lack of closeness to Christ and to his word. Train yourself for godliness. The word train here comes from the Greek word gymnazo. Gymnazo. G-Y-M-N-A-Z-O. And it's where we get our word gymnasium. So Paul moves from the metaphor of disciplined eating so to being nourished. That's why I've got that, desire, that first thing of being nourished on God's word. Uh, he moves from that now into a metaphor of an athlete. So the idea is of the Greco-Roman world where athletes would train for the games, which were very popular in those times. And so obviously what Paul has in mind here is dedication to godliness on Olympic proportions. He's saying in the same way that an athlete would go about their training... Timothy, you are to approach godliness in this same way. Christian, you are to approach godliness in the same way. 
Now you think about an athlete, obviously they've got a, a strict and regimented routine. And that's necessary, isn't it? God has been speaking to me so clearly and so much recently about the need to have a good routine in place. And I've always kind of shunned away from that idea because, oh, it's not, it's not really, it's not organic. You know, it's kind of, it's just strict and it's regimented and it's not about that. I just kind of come to the Lord. But no, actually, Mark, you need, if, without a routine, you're going you're gonna to struggle. We need a routine. What's your routine like? If we were to, if, if we kind of put your routine up on the screen there, what would it look like day in, day out? If we, we broke down the hours, time you spend sleeping, talking, on the phone, texting, chatting, labrish, eating, praying, hopefully, reading God's word. What would it look like? Do you plan time to meet with God? You actually, do you schedule that into your routine? And I, and I, I put my hands up and I have to say, you know what, my routine has been ridiculous. It's been, it hasn't been what it should be. It hasn't, it's been kind of on, on the go, as it were. I haven't sat down and planned properly a routine. I've begun to do that recently. I'm really realizing now, okay, that's, that's just the first part in it. So you get a routine in place, but now you need to stick to it and you've got to defend it. In the same way that, you know, I'm a, a real athlete. It's not going to be, listen to my, oh, brother, let's go down the pub. Or let's, they're not going to be, they're going to be, Mm-mm, brother, <laughs> I can't do that for him. You can do that. That's good for you. But you know what? I've got things to do. I'm up at four in the morning. I'm running for six hours. Then I'm on the treadmill. Then I'm swimming. Whatever it is I'm doing. I don't have time to get involved in that. I've got a plan. and I've got a goal in mind. He's saying that in the same way, this is, this is how we're to, we're to be intentional about our faith. Intentional about our, our walk with Christ. Early to rise. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Early to rise, early to bed. <sighs> Commitment. We're to be committed and, how, and, and it's going to mean sacrifice, isn't it? So the idea of godliness is, is a key theme throughout the pastoral letters. And its basic meaning is that of respect or reverence. Kind of tying back to, remember back, back in, in Proverbs, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That respectful, loving reverence. It's not trembling, I'm scared, I'm running away from God. But actually I love God and I want, I want to run towards him and I want, I, want to, I want to please him. My life looks like, well, there's a guy who loves Jesus. There's a guy who fears God. He's got reverence for God because he's, he thinks about the way that he talks. He thinks about his, his, his actions. He thinks about how he treats other people. And clearly, you know, his, his routine is one that, that, that points to that. So this godliness is a loving reverence for God where we act in a way that demonstrates our love for him. Unlike the false teachers who say, deny your physical pleasures like marriage and food. Pastor Rob went in last week, didn't he, on the, the marriage thing. <laughs> I was sitting there going, bro, please, wait, sit. I felt nervous, yeah. True godliness is the life of faithful love and obedience to God and his word. Jesus said that if we love him, we'll keep his commands. So as we meditate on the scriptures and pray for God's help to apply them every day, then we will be exercising godliness. This is to be part of our, our daily routine. This is to be part of Timothy's routine. And look at the benefits. For while bodily training is... A, is, is of some value. Stop right there. For some of you, that's your life first. Ooh, the Bible says that it's good to train. It's good to go down the gym. It's good to exercise. Yep, life first. Up on, up on the fridge. That's me. I love that. It's of some value. Godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
Now, I don't think Paul is encouraging Timothy here to get down the gym and pump some weights. Although some of us could do with being reminded that there is a benefit to physical training. And I said it to myself first. For some of us, the only exercise we get is walking from our house to the car. And back again, maybe. I mean, it would do us good to start a fitness regime. It's good to keep fit. It's good to keep healthy. I mean, we, we, we realize that our body is, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We want to look after it. It's a blessing that God, that God has given us. So let's remember that Paul is using physical exercise to compare the benefits with spiritual benefits so that he can make his point that spiritual fitness is key for good servants. Now, some of you have got it twisted. You've got this, you've got this back to front. You think that there is eternal benefit in training. You think that your body is going to last forever. You think that investing time and effort and money in yourself, in your physical body, is really what it's all about. And you don't really think there's much benefit to spiritual things, to godliness. You've got it twisted. You've got it back to front. There needs to be a shift. So you give time and energy as if the payoff is eternal, but it's only temporary, isn't it? Our bodies are going to fade. Sorry to break that to you this morning. I mean, the the, the six-pack that you're desperately trying to get now will be a keg one day, and even if it isn't, your body will die, and it's going to be no good to you. Some will feel no way to spend X amount of hours in the gym lifting weights. And yet you never lift your Bible or get down and pray. And it's a danger, isn't it, with training? It's, it's, you start training and, and, and you've got the endorphins and, and it becomes almost addictive. It's, it's good because you feel good about yourself. And as I say, it's, training is, is a good thing, but if you're not careful... Like any, any good thing, potentially it could become an idol and it could take the place. If, if, you, if you look at your, 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 your week and you realize, well, you know, actually I'm spending seven or eight hours training for whatever it is I'm training for because I want to look buff or I want to just be fitter or I just want to lose my, my flabby belly or I want to be able to run. Some good things. But if you're doing all of that and you're, not actually, and you're neglecting the eternal, things of eternal value, How foolish is that? How dangerous is that? Some of us have got it back to front. This is to be the practice of pastors and of all Christians that is preparing for eternity, training in godliness. So what should you expect from your pastors? What should you expect, not even just from pastors here, wherever you go, like I said, this has got application for all of us. When I'm, when I'm listening to a, to a sermon online, when I'm, when I'm going on a God channel, if I go on a God channel, um, if I move to another church, what, I, I need to know what I, what, what, what I should expect. Think about the amount of girls, sadly, who get themselves, end up with jokers because they don't have a standard. They don't know what to expect and therefore anything that comes along is okay. What should we expect from our pastors? Well, like we saw here, that they would love God and his word in private as well as public. That they seek daily opportunities to display that love through their actions. So the public and private lives would be consistent. That they would teach the Bible. 
that they'd hold fast to this word. These are the expectations that we need to have of our leaders. Now, I think that verse 9, back in your Bible, it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I think it's referring back to verse 8, 8b. So the fact that there's eternal benefit in godliness. Some say it's, it's referring back to um, 8. Others say it's referring to, to the next verse. But I think simply, I'm, I'm going with it referring back to 8 because it sounds more like a, a proverb. I mean, um, so where are we? Bodily, bodily training is of, of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I think that's referring back to, to 8b simply because it sounds more like, like a, a proverb. So my final observation is that good servants invest in eternity, verse 10. So look at verse 10 with me. It says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Here in verse 10, Paul's referring back to the promise of eternal life, back in, in, in verse 8. So if you exercise godliness, there's great, there's value, and there's a, a, a promise for not just for this life, but for the life to come. He's referring back to that, um, and says, and says it is, it, that it is, for, let me start again, sorry. Here in verse 10, Paul refers back to the promise of eternal life, back in verse 8, and says that, that it is for this eternal life, for all who believe, that we labor and strive in ministry, declaring the gospel. So Paul reminds Timothy that the hard work of faithful gospel ministry is worth it because of the eternal prize, which is salvation. So right here is why it's so important that we read our Bibles, isn't it? Because you have some people who say to you, no, actually, it's not about working hard as a, as a pastor. You have other people who work hard for you. You just turn up and do your thing on a Sunday or whatever. You don't need to work hard. You don't break a sweat. Furthermore, we'll give you seven or eight armor bearers who will do your stuff for you and carry, carry, carry your things. But the scripture clearly tells us, no, that, that the man of God who wants to serve God, who wants to be a good servant, he must work hard. It's hard work. And I'm sure if you speak to, not even just to the pastors, but to their wives and to their children, they will testify to the fact that it's hard work. Which is why so many run away from it. Gospel is good news that men can be saved from the wrath of God and from eternal suffering. They can, they can experience new abundant life here and for eternity. It's worth it, isn't it? As much as it's, it's hard work to be a faithful minister, to point out error and to actually have to, have to stand up and say, you know what, bruv, whoever, you're, you're wrong. You maybe even, even be a false teacher and need to confront that. Need to, to be there and to, to hear people's issues and to, to counsel people, to pray with people on an ongoing basis, to make sacrifices daily. That's before you've even begun to sit down and, and give serious attention to studying the word. It's hard work. This, which is why, once again, we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for those who are in that position of responsibility over us. So toiling and striving speaks of exerting yourself physically and mentally, not just behind a desk. It's not like, it's not like a pushing papers job. I'm, I'm a minister and I can just sit here behind a the desk. There's times where you be at the desk studying, sweating, banging your head on, on, the, on, on the desk, crying, pulling your hair out if you've got any left. Ministry is wide and varied. And it's very tiring. And I get amen, pastor, pastors. Amen, it's very tiring. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just learning. I'm just, just kind of looking in and, and gleaning, just having little, little bits of responsibility that I have already 
thinking, it's, it's hard work, because I'm, I'm experiencing that already. So Paul says in Colossians 1, 28, 29, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, this is his desire, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This, this should be the desire of your pastors. It is the desire of your pastors and any pastors you sit under. The desire to, to present everyone mature in Christ. And so for this, we toil, struggling with all interest in his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the source of their strength is God himself. They depend on God. There has to be that dependence on God, doesn't it? Otherwise, you're not going to get very far. You'll, you'll throw the towel in, you'll give up in ministry, in any kind of ministry. It's the same for all of us. It's his power that needs to be working in us. Do you as servants have Paul's commitment in whatever you do for Jesus? You can see Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, spat on, embarrassed for the gospel. And yet at the end he says he's run his race. He wanted to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Don't we want to hear that as believers? We just want to to hear, okay, well done, servant. I, I want to be a good servant. I want to be a faithful servant. Even though, like I say, the, the, I know it's going to be hard work. I know it's going to be difficult. But I want to be a good and faithful servant. God's strength is what we need, is what is needed for, the, for gospel ministry. So if pastors are to remain faithful and also for all servants, you need to depend on God if you want to be a good servant in the sound team, if you want to be a good servant on the tabernacle team, hospitality, whatever area you're serving, we need to be dependent on God, don't we? Trusting in him, looking, realizing actually, what's the bigger picture? Yes, it's hard work, but the bigger picture is the salvation of souls. Men and women coming to know Christ and that we could be involved in that in some way. We could have that privileged position of, of being used in God's house. It's a major blessing. Notice also that he says, and this is the verse you've probably all been waiting to get to. Interesting. Notice also that it says here that he is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, just on a plain reading of that, you could think of what's known as universalism, which is God saves everyone. But immediately we can throw that out because we know that the rest of scripture doesn't teach that, does it? Does it? Does it teach? Does the scripture teach that God saves everyone? If that's the case, then why did Jesus come? Why do I need to repent? If He's going to save me anyway, I can just live how I want to live, surely. So we can. That's just universalism. Clearly, that's not what, what what is being said here. And two Thessalonians one eight and nine backs that up. Just one verse out of many it says, "Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance." on those who do not know God. This is what's going to happen to those who don't know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's got to be encouragement for us as believers to be serious about our walk with Christ. To want to tell others and to want to warn others away from this punishment. Surely. This is just one verse of many that declares that those who don't repent and trust in Jesus for salvation will spend eternity in hell. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you haven't put your faith and your trust in Christ. And, and today I've got the pleasure of saying to you, actually, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope for you 
And it's to be found in Jesus. It's to be found in Christ. He took the wrath of God, God's anger for for your sin. He He took that on the cross. In order that anyone who would put their faith and trust in him would be saved. Saved from this suffering that is coming to all men who deny Christ. So back to Timothy, back to verse 10, sorry. Some commentators believe that, this, uh, that it means that God is the saviour of all men, uh, in the sense that he's the protector and deliverer. So God protects and delivers people, doesn't he? Regardless of their belief in him, every day God is protecting and delivering people. So in that sense, he, he's a saviour. That's what some people believe that it means. Others interpret, interpret it to be speaking about what's called common grace, like that, uh, that mentioned in Acts 17, and which, which says that God gives life and breath to all. So his common grace, his, his favour is experienced by everybody. So he's the saviour of all and in, in everyone experiences his common grace. That's another um, school of thought as to what, what these verses mean. And then, those, then there are those who say that the word translated especially. So, where are we? So especially of those who believe, that word especially. That word is used in different ways elsewhere. Um, to mean an un- to an unusual degree, or uh, to be precise, or in particular, or namely. So, for instance, in First Timothy five eight, it says, "But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially, namely, for members of his household, that's in in particular members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." So, the word "especially" here modifies the statement that's gone before. So, I'm more convinced of this idea. Um, this last one here, that, that, that actually what Paul is doing is, is modifying the general statement. So if we, if we go back, uh, God who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe, in that, sorry, um, where am I, sorry, forgive me. Sorry, namely, so namely of those who believe. So ultimately he's, he's, he's the saviour of all people and the condition is that they believe. So it's not that he, he saves everybody, but the, the, the condition actually is that they believe. So this means that, that God is he's potentially the saviour of all people, but he's actually the saviour of those who believe. And for more on this, more verses that, that, that mention that word especially, you can look, look up 1 Timothy 5.17, 2 Timothy 4.13, Titus 2.1-10, and you'll find that word there. So finally then, I want to encourage you to have godly expectations of your pastors, biblical expectations, that they would work hard, that their personal life would be a life of devotion to Christ and to his word, and that that would be experienced in public. And also, if you think about it, Timothy is to be an example, isn't he? So we're to follow that example. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to encourage all of you, all of us, if you don't have a routine, a daily routine where you're spending time in the scriptures, to do that, make that decision today that you're going to do that. Am I, am I saying that that means you're now going to be a glow-in-the-dark Christian and you're going to fly into heaven? No, you're going to have to work hard to, 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 to maintain that. But if you don't have that, you, you, you fail before you even begin. And the reason is not just that I can say I've read my Bible today, but I want to get to know Christ, my Savior. I want to get to know him more. I want to love him and I want to serve him. So I want to encourage you to do that. Get into your word routinely and prayerfully as you read the scriptures. Pray daily. Make it, it's a matter of fact, I spend time in God's word so that actually as, 
false teaching comes up, I'm able to say, actually, this doesn't match up with what I'm reading in the scriptures. And therefore, I can discard it. So let God's word feed you daily. Don't be satisfied with just being a servant, but work hard at daily exercising godliness, godliness sorry, while keeping your hope firmly in God alone. Rejoin me as I pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Lord, thank you for the truth, Lord, that you have revealed that truth to us through your Son. And Lord, that all who would call on him, all who would trust in him, all who would hope in him, Lord, you said that you wouldn't turn away. But Lord, you'd grant them eternal life. You'd grant them salvation. Lord, I pray if there are any here today that don't know you, Lord, that they would turn to you. Lord, that they'd stop investing in things that are temporal, things that are fleeting, that are fading, that are passing. And Lord, that they put their hope and their trust in you the true and living God. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is alive. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a God who is alive and who gives life and is a source of life and who provides abundant life. And Lord, as we read your word, as we meditate on it, Lord, we grow more and more in godliness. And Lord, then we have the opportunity to exercise that godliness amongst one another in this world to be more patient, to be more loving, to be more forgiving, to be more committed to the truth. Lord, please, would you help us as a church not to play games, not to play Christianity. Lord, would you help us not to waste our time with things that are fleeting, things that we can't take into the next life, but help us to prepare now for eternity, Lord. Help us to invest eternally. Lord, we ask all of this in your name. And Lord, we look to you to empower us and to enable us to fulfill all you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.